the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Today, though, is going to be a more unusual message, and I'm going to ask as much as possible that you go to the Lord as I'm speaking now and ask Him to help you to be as alert as possible because I want to go much deeper into the whole concept of intercession. I want to teach you the doctrine of intercession. Now, why would I do that? I believe that if we have the strongest foundation of understanding what intercession is, that when we begin to do the practical part, there will be more power, there will be more understanding. We'll pray more faithfully because we're coming with from a basis of what intercession is all about. Now this week, I'm providing you with a little bit more notes for you to be able to take. And I assure you, even though we might go deeper, we will not go so deep that you cannot follow. My prayer is that while I'm asking you to pay attention, I'm asking the Lord to help me to make it clear and simple and, of course, correct and accurate for you as well. So let's have a word of prayer as we get into this study of when others need prayer, particularly the aspect of intercession. Let's pray. Father, we're going to approach a a great deal of Scripture today that is connected to a lot of other Scripture, and so I'm going to ask you to help me to be correct in my teaching. I believe it is. I thank you for what you've taught me through your Spirit, through your Word, and others. I pray that I'll also be very clear so that I could articulate it in a way that those that are so new in their journey with you can follow along and learn some great truths of the Bible. And then for those that have been on this journey a long time, that it won't be a ho-hum message because they already know it, that it'll be fresh and insightful so that, Father, we can really see you. And then, Father, help us all because we know that the entrance of thy words will give us light and understanding. And so we're asking you through the Holy Spirit to illuminate us and to teach us using your word. Now, Father, we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I think if I continue this message, it might be more helpful for you not just to have a battery of doctrine on a sheet of paper, but that you'll connect that doctrine of what you're learning to a real, live, breathing person, someone that you know even personally. So I want to go back over what are some areas of crisis that people will have so you can hear their crisis and then begin to think, who might you know that's in that crisis? So as you're learning this, you're learning it so that you could then reach out and touch those people through prayer, real people in your own lives. So here's some of those crises very quickly. You may have them there. First of all would be the fires. Then there would be the floods. And then there'd be those in famine. Those that have financial issues, fitness issues, family issues, friends problems, foes even, enemies. We'll talk a little bit about that today too. And then of course the faith crisis. Now this message will not only have more of an impact when you see these people in crisis, but also now you want to learn how you can reach out to them. So the questions you might want to ask yourself and be able to answer would be, do we want to learn how to pray for others the way the Lord wants us to pray? Do we really want to learn how to pray for others the way the Lord wants us to pray? 
So that's a question that if you answer that and say, yes, I really do. I don't want to just pray like I used to pray. Or I do as long as it's the way the Lord wants me to pray. Then let's follow along with that. And then the second question is, will we use Scripture as our mandate, as our message, and our model for prayer? Now, there's a lot of other good prayer material out there. There's great guys and gals that have written that stuff, and I really commend them on it. But I would like for us to spend a great deal of time just understanding what God would have us to learn about prayer. Now, I want to give you one caveat. This series is not going to go on forever and ever, amen. There will be an ending to it, and I assure you we will not cover everything the Bible has to say about prayer. But I also assure you that it will be as comprehensive as possible, so if you stay with the series, that if you listen to all of it, it will all come back into balance, and you will have some great substance for your own edification, but also for the glory of God in helping other people. Now, for some of you that would like to know about prayer, let me quickly define it. Yes, prayer is asking God and receiving. That is simple prayer. But at the same time, I believe prayer, according to Scripture, is more than just asking and receiving. It is building a relationship with the Lord by communicating with Him. So the purpose of the problems, the purpose of of taking those issues to the Lord is not so much about the issues and getting them answered. The issues are to help us to have intimacy with the Lord so we can really know Him and love Him and let Him and His wisdom change our lives. So it brings us closer to Him, not just... He's just a genie in the bottle, and if we rub it just right, that the genie will pop out and give us our three wishes. So it becomes what God wants us to have. Now, as you go through the study of prayers in the Bible and how to pray, there's an interesting observation I made as I've been working through this series. First of all, I found that there are very few commands of exactly what to pray for. Now, there are some, and we will unpack that in the weeks to come, but there's not many on a specific command. This is what you are to pray for. Secondly... There are lots of examples of people who prayed in the Bible. So if you're looking for someone as your model for prayer, there's tons of them in the Bible. And some of them will pray for God to do something. Some of it will be prayed maybe even a judgment thing. But these are models for prayer. Last week I asked you to email me some thoughts that you've had regarding this message and insights that you're gaining. And it was neat to see the people who wrote me and gave me other people in the Bible that they have discovered that were good models of praying for other people. Not just prayers, but praying for other people. And then finally, there are many principles on how to pray. Not just what to pray for, and not just watching others pray, but there are some basic principles of prayer. Again, I'm wanting to whet your appetite to let you know that we will travel down the road and we will stop at those principles so that we can gain them together. And again, as you're studying on prayer, shoot some information back to me, text it back to me, however you want to, because I want to learn about the journey you're on with prayer as well. Now, with all of that being said, let's just review what we're going to be talking about, which is intercessory prayer. There are other titles of prayer. There's petitions, there's thanksgiving, there's supplications. We're just going to learn today on intercession. Now, the word, the etymology of the word intercede or intercession really means simply coming between two people. Intercession is coming between two people. Now, that's the beginning of the understanding of the word. As it began to develop, it then developed into something that was much bigger than that, much stronger than that. And you can even see it develop through Scripture. But one of them is this. Where a person has a need, another person takes that petition to someone that is stronger or greater, usually someone representing another to a king. Now, today we might see similar things in practical would be like an attorney. There are times that you are not really representing yourself and you may not do a good job and you can't do it. And so you will hire an attorney who's knowledgeable about your situation, they're knowledgeable about the court system, and they're knowledgeable about the law and how to defend you. And so that person now represents you to the courts. 
And so that would be your intercessor. That's why in 1 John chapter 2, it's referred to as an advocate. And so Jesus is referred to as an advocate at times. Another word would be the word paraclete, and that would be the word comforter. And I imagine that if you're going through some deep legal problems, that the consequences would be great, and you don't know how to navigate around that, you would take great comfort that there would be a wise counselor, a wise attorney coming alongside you to help guide you in presenting this case. Now again, um, that's all in the earthly realm. The biggest is to have one with the Lord. So, a definition of intercessory prayer is found there for you in your notes. Intercession is the act of praying on behalf of someone else that needs help from Almighty God to be merciful and gracious unto someone else and not just for yourself. And then I've given you some examples of prayer. Today we're just going to look at one. That's all for today. And that's going to be probably, I believe, the greatest illustration, although they're all important because they're in Scripture and all Scripture is sufficient and important. But we're going to look at Jesus Christ and what it means for him to be an intercessor. So, how did Jesus Christ make intercession for us? If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to now open them up. If you don't have a Bible, if you'll reach under a chair, you might find one under there. Scoot next to a person next to you. Look at their Bible. Um, at the same time, I'd encourage you to get a Bible and bring it with you. Sometimes it'll be on the screen, sometimes it won't, but I'd like you to have a Bible with you. So how did Jesus make intercession for us? Now, there's going to be a couple of checkpoints here. Actually, there's just going to be three with some subpoints. But this way, it'll kind of help you to understand intercession as it wraps itself around the Lord Jesus Christ and how important that is. So here's the first one. He began his intercession for us on the cross when he took our sins on himself. Now, folks, I know you're jotting that down maybe quickly there. He made intercession for us on the cross when he took his sins of us on himself at the cross. Now, I'm going to try to reduce this. So if you keep these two little bubbles up in front of you, you're going to then be able to follow quite quickly. Intercession, and I, 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 I'm, I'm maybe oversimplifying this. I hope I'm not. But I believe the two biggest understandings of intercession is this. It is where Jesus Christ, our advocate, took all our sin on himself He's representing us to God the Father as his death on the cross to satisfy our sins, satisfy God because of the sin debt that he has done. So he then goes on our behalf. So he intercedes for us. He is the intercessor because he's taken our sin of us on himself. So that deals with the cross. That's a once and for all activity when Jesus died for us on the cross. The second, and there's only two, the second is where now that he continually, from the time he paid our sin debt, and he's doing it today, is that he makes intercession for us. Which means, after he paid our sin debt, we have eternal life. He continually stands before God the Father when we have an enemy that will come against us and make false accusations, and he takes our needs to, to the Father on our behalf. So not only did he die on the cross and pay our sin debt, he also continues as an intercessor afterwards. And so what we're looking at right now, you with me? Are you with me? All right, here we go. What we're looking at is that when he took our sin on himself, that means our problems became his problems, loosely stated. That means whatever we're going through, he engaged with us. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He was so significant. He took all of that on himself. Now, when he did all of that on himself, he then went to the cross. Now, how does that fit in for you and me in our relationship of praying for others? I think one of the greatest helps for us is instead of just hearing a prayer request or we get a newsletter from someone or someone calls us, if for just a moment we would pause and like Jesus looked down the multitudes and he was moved with compassion, I would like for just that moment, if someone is, is in desperate in need of something spiritual, you for that moment 
Try to identify with that person yourself. That person's problems, spiritual problems, become momentarily your problems. That person's financial problems becomes your financial problems. That person's fire problems becomes your problems. Everything about that person that you now want to pray for, before you just throw up that prayer, you own it for yourself, at least in your emotions and thoughts, so that you could wrap your head... And even when I say that, and you're going to see this in a moment, you won't be able to fully understand everything there is about That's okay. But just engage more into the needs of that person. Like Jesus then interceded in our place for us when we had a problem. Now you can never die for their sins. You can't solve all of their problems. But as you're going to the throne, as you're wanting now to help them, you own that for yourself. All right, the second is when you're going to pray for them. Well, let's go look back at Scripture because I want to talk right now just about Christ dying on the cross so you can see it. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah for a second, Isaiah 53. This is a great section of Scripture. You knew people that are just getting into the Bible. This is going to describe the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament when he went to the cross to pay for our sins. So it's spoken in prophetic language. So it's spoken like it is happening then in the Old Testament. But it's actually something that's going to happen in the future. I especially like verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6. You can actually see the gospel in here. It says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, if you will look up here. Many of you have seen me do this hand illustration with the wallet many times. Most of you are excited when you see it because you know those who are seeing it for the first time can see an illustration of the gospel. And so I'd like you to learn it and use it yourself. So watch here very carefully. This is you and me. This is our sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says because of our sin, we're separated from God. And when we die, we'll spend eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. So we're separated now. We'll be separated for eternity when we die. The Bible says to go to heaven, I've got to be 100% perfect. No sin on me. The Bible also says you'll never be sinless, so therefore going to heaven is not by your works. So there's nothing you can do. Turn over a new leaf, whether it's social or religious, nothing will get rid of that sin. Now let my left hand represent God who took on flesh. By the way, that's Isaiah 53, verse 6. God took on flesh. And he says this, I love you, but I hate your sin because your sin separates you from me. And so here's what I'm going to do. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He now identifies with us by taking all our sin on himself. He dies and he rises again from the dead. Now our sin ticket's paid for, but we now must believe in him to have everlasting life. Now this act of him taking our sin on himself, paying our sin debt, this is the intercession of what he is doing so we can have eternal life. Now verse 6 talked about all the sin laid upon our, on himself even though we've gone astray. Drop down to verse 12 in your Bible. It says this, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death. That's that death on the cross again. And was numbered with the transgressors. I thought that was interesting, because it will use the word transgressor again. We know we're all sinners, but actually in the Hebrew, it's another word. It's criminal. So not only is he with sinners, he's with those who are ardently breaking the law. Now go a little bit further in the passage. He was numbered with the transgressors, with everybody who sins. But I think more in context, if you remember, there was one thief on one side of him on the cross. There was another thief on the other side. Thieves are transgressors or criminals. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, those that would trust Christ as Savior. Now, here's what you want to underline. And he interceded for the transgressors. That means he took all the sin of all the criminals, of all those that have done something wrong, and he put it on himself. In fact, in a corrected verse here is Luke 23, verse 34 says that when he was up on the cross, do you remember what he said when he hung on the cross? 
as these guys, the Roman soldiers, were betting for his clothes so see who would get whatever was left after he died, and he had one malefactor on one side and the other malefactor on the other side, what were the words that Jesus said? Everybody say it out loud with me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So again, that was all part of that intercession of what he's done for us on the cross. Now let's move a little bit from this because I wanted you to see something else. Again, I know we're going a little bit deeper today, but some of you asked the question of, what's this thing about Trinity? Well, the word Trinity is not, is not found in the Bible. Because the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, does that mean that there is no Trinity? And by the way, some of you that are so much on the front end and you hear the word Trinity, what do you mean Trinity? Well, the common understanding of Trinity would be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That would be the Trinity. Now, do you find the word Trinity in the Bible? You do not. But what you do find in the Bible is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three separate but also three all in one co-equal with one another. So those three, one, two, three, would be part of what we call the Holy Trinity. Now how do we know that this Trinitarian doctrine is there? Is because so frequently in Scripture you're going to see concepts of theology that's attributed to, here it is, equally to each one. Now they may have a different function, but equally to each one, showing the Trinity. I believe this whole concept of the intercession fits into the Trinity teaching as well. You have God the Father who had to be satisfied. God, like the King, is now having someone, Christ, represent us, come to us. So you have God the Father. He's the one that's got to be satisfied with the intercessory payment of sin that Jesus did. Jesus then dies on the cross and rises again to be a part of intercession. So now you have God the Father through God the Son satisfying that payment for sin. Are you with me? Say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, now, where does the Holy Spirit come into this? Well, I don't have time to totally unpack everything about the Spirit, but the part of the Spirit that's playing in this whole thing of intercession now moves into the area of, after Jesus paid for sin, and our sins are paid for, the Holy Spirit is still in ministry with God the Father, God the Son, and us, keeping us vitally united. Now, those of you that are... are, are, are um, what do I want to say? Studying the doctrine of eternal security. You're now trying to say, I, I don't believe, I, I don't think I can believe in eternal security, but I'm willing to hear your side of the issue. I don't have time to do the whole teaching on eternal security, but I wanted you to see that the intercessory work of Christ involves the Holy Spirit. And all of that involves the eternal security of the believer because once we have an intercessor, Jesus who paid for sin, and we have Christ and the Spirit communicating with God the Father, that is keeping us saved because of, here it is, the continual work of Christ. Not just what he did on the cross, that's important. You've got to have a launching pad, but it's all the rest of this that keeps us eternally secure. Now with all of that in mind, turn to Romans chapter 8, if you will. Romans chapter 8. So while we're studying today and while you go to the beach this afternoon, I want you to know that the Lord never sleeps, never slumbers, and he's up there. So when Satan comes along and says, what a dirty bird you are, the Lord says, that's okay, the sin debt's been paid for, I died on the cross, the Holy Spirit is making utterances for you. Now I want you to follow along very carefully now, because I'm going to give you some teachings here about the idea of praying in tongues, all right? So let's go here a little bit further, all right? Romans chapter 8. 
Here it says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. Some of you have a translation that will say infirmities, and you might think, well, he helps us when we're sick. Well, I believe that's a part of it, but actually the word is not so much because I have a bad cold or I'm sick. It's dealing with the whole weakness. That would include spiritual weaknesses. That would include maybe other. It's a general term used for all kinds of weaknesses. So it says, in the same way, the Spirit, which is your operative word of the, of the Trinity here, also helps our weaknesses. Why? Or how? For we do not know how to pray as we should. So when we have infirmities, we have problems, we want to pray. But we also don't know how to pray. In fact, let me go a bit further on this. There are people in your life that you'll go through that list of crises that I've given you, and you'll have their names and their crises. And even you and I could not fully understand all they're going through. Therefore, we cannot fully know how to pray for them. Do you agree with that? I don't know all I can pray for for the Custers. I don't know what I can pray for for their family, for their ministry, for his career, for his job, for, for his money, for his connection, to I, his health, their stress. I don't, I don't know how to pray for all of them. So I'm struggling with that. And that's okay. Because when I have an inability to know how to pray for other people and even myself, I have the Spirit. Now, look at how cool this is. Go on. It says here, we don't know how to pray as we should, all right? But the Spirit himself, and underline it, intercedes for us. So in other words, he takes me and my problems to God the Father. So he's my intercessor. You saw where Christ is our intercessor. You have the Spirit who is our intercessor. He's the one who's also the Holy Spirit of comfort. So you have all that going together. So you're seeing the doctrine of the Trinity with God the Father. Let's go a little bit further now. So he knows how to intercess for us with groanings too deep for words. So let me kind of unpack that a little bit. First of all, it is not we who are groaning in some kind of a prayer language. It's not things that we are saying. It is something that the Spirit is saying. It is not saying anywhere clearly here, as far as I can say, that, 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 that the Spirit now takes my utterances, even if I don't understand the words, and whatever I'm saying, whether they're words I don't know, or even gibberish, if you want to use that term, and that's not a dismissive term, it's to, a, a word that has no meaning to it, and so it's a groaning kind of a thing. It's not so much of that. It's where the Spirit is taking the groanings to the Lord. Now, if you do a study in this context, the entire context deals mostly with sin and what God does because of sin. And secondly, there's three groanings in Romans 8. There's the groaning of creation because when man fell, all of creation fell, we got all the problems, all right? The secondly, when man fell, you and I fell, you know, when Adam fell, we are now fallen with him, which means now our body is frail. So we've got our own groaning, waiting for a new body. All of you that have at times have had pain in your life or cancer or something, you, some of you are saying, I can't wait for the rapture, I get a new body. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you, I can't wait for the rapture, I get a new body too. But it's not about me getting a new body, the rapture is all about I can't wait to see Jesus and that's where I know you really are. But we're groaning for that. But then there's these infirmities that we have, there's these weaknesses that we have, the struggles that people have and we groan over that. How can we really help them? How many of you, when you heard about the Custers losing their house, there was some kind of an emotional reaction. I, I, I'm not going to say that's a groan. I'm not going to say it's not a groan. I'm just going to say there was an emotional reaction. Now, honestly speaking, as well as frankly, those of you who do not know the Custers, it's kind of like a distant human that's out there that has a problem, and that is pretty bad, and, and, and our, our man's help for mankind goes out. But those of you who are up close and personal with the Custers, then you know what the feeling that they had. So there's this groaning. And some of you, when you hear something that really bothers you, there's that, oh, no. I had something similar happen to me, as minor as it is. 
I was, uh, our house is kind of like on a, on a hill, and part of our house is on a slab, the other is on pier and beam, so you can kind of go underneath our house, kind of crouch, but almost stand up, so there's a lot of storage. Well, I was under the house, because that's where we keep our cans, you know, we save cans like everybody else does, so girl says, take these cans out of the house, I'm taking the cans out of the house, while I'm under there, I'm hearing drip, 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 and I'm thinking, oh, one of our pipes must have a leak, and so I look for the pipe that had a leak, no pipe had a leak, it was coming directly out of the floor of our house. It was dripping, okay? So I would love to tell you, praise God, a leak that I don't know where it's coming from. I couldn't say that. I'm saying, what did Carol do now? No, I didn't say that either. <laughs> but there was that. Oh, what, what happens? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, now I know why this, the part of the floor is buckling and, and where is this all going to go? And it's taken us weeks to locate the problem. Now, the rest of the story is it's fixed now. It's a simple fix. God took care of it. The real issue is, though, there was that momentary act of groan. But you know what? It doesn't talk about my groaning. Go back to the passage. Here's what it says. It says here, intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. So the idea is that there is this whole aspect of groaning. I think we might call it the identifying of our pain with us. And yet he takes that and he brings it to God the Father. Go to verse 27. I love this. And he who searches the hearts, that would be God the Father now in context, and the Father who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Pause for a moment. Obviously he does. You've got God the Father, God the, uh, the Holy Spirit now. Obviously they would know because they are one with each other. They know each other. I love that. I know my mind, but I don't always know what's in Carol's mind. And all of you who know, are married, you know what exactly what I mean. So you know what's a part of you. And even then, sometimes I don't even know what I'm thinking. But God knows, and the Holy Spirit knows. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.